The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. All right, this is Chris Jericho, and thank you for downloading Talk is Jericho. Today, my good friend Annie Beersack from Black Veil Brides is here. The new record is called Black Veil Brides. It's the fourth record out now, and the Black Mass Tour with Memphis Mayfire and Ghost Town starts tomorrow in Richmond, Virginia. Lots of great stuff from my good friend Andy today. He started Black Veil Brides. We'll talk about that. The music video he made for like 150 bucks that, that went to viral to about 50 million views plus so far. The F-bomb incident at the Golden Gods Awards. The time he fell off a balcony while trying to rock and roll. So many great stories. The following program is a Podcast One.com production. He's a world champion wrestler, best-selling author, actor, and lead singer of Fozzie. Now, now he's rocking the podcast world. Yay! This, this, this is Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho. Starring Chris Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho, the fight of thunder, and rock and roll. The spell you run now has been broken by Chris Jericho. The People's Podcast has arrived. The remedy for boredom is here. Let's go for a ride.
All right, it's a little spider in my mouth from Fozzie, the Cinnabones record. Going back a little bit, going back a few years, wanted to play some heavy kick-ass rock and roll for my heavy kick-ass rock and roll uh, guest today, Andy Beerzak from Blackville Brides. Very, very good friend of mine. We always have a blast. He's got so many great stories to tell. How he moved to L.A. with nothing, lived in his car on the Sunset Strip. Wait till you find out who the first person he met was, his first rock and roll friend. Uh, he, how he managed to shoot a music video for no money and he didn't have a band and how that video went viral to the tune of like 55 million views so far. That's for the song Knives and Pens. We'll get a blow-by-blow account of that and a blow-by-blow account of one of the worst injuries he's ever suffered on stage when he fell off a balcony all in the name of rock and roll. Plus, he'll take us through the infamous F bomb experience at the golden gods award show shut up fat boy went a little rick flair when he went nuts on the fans at the golden gods it's when i uh, got all respect for mr andy beerzak plus he's a huge kiss fan he's a huge paul stanley fan and a very talented guy as well andy beerzak from the black veil brides is on the way but first, as a friendly reminder, have you nominated Talk is Jericho for a 2015 podcast award yet, huh? If you love this show half as much as I love doing it, then you should definitely hit up podcastawards.com and nominate it. It'd be very, very fruit to win a podcast award. Just finished out my first year here on Talk is Jericho. So give me some awards, man. Help me become a winner. I want to be a winner. Uh, they'll be handed out in April in Las Vegas at the New Media Expo. So if you want to show a little love to Talk is Jericho, just go to podcastawards.com and fill out the nomination form. I got to be nominated first before I can win. You got to add the show's url link in the form and the easiest way to do that is to go to podcastone.com click on talk is jericho then copy the show page link and paste it into the form nominations close next friday go to podcastawards.com give your favorite podcast which of course is talk is jericho nominate it in the sports category in the entertainment category in the sexy beast category whatever category it is get doing it man i want to say thanks to my sponsors as well of talk is jericho the ones who let me do this for you for free for twice a week thanks to all of you as well for supporting all my amazing uh partners here dollar shave club smart mouth ddp yoga nature box arctic ease me undies amazon so many great uh, great people aboard already and amazon Huge proud sponsor talk is Jericho. Thanks to you guys for doing your online shopping through my Amazon links. Easiest way to support the show. You go to podcast1.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page. Hey, hit talk is Jericho button. Every time you use one of my Amazon links, Amazon kicks back a couple bucks to the show. Help us cover production costs. You know I got links for the USA and the UK and the Canada. All across North America, over the pond. And you can get whatever you want on Amazon. You can still get CDs, MP3s there. Get the new Blackville Brides self-titled record produced by Bob Rock. Very, very cool. Get all Blackville Brides records. Get Do You Want to Start a War? The new Fozzie record. Get uh, The Best in the World at what, I, at what I Have No Idea. The new Chris Jericho New York Times best-selling novel. Whatever you want, go get it. The truth about my links is you buy whatever you want. No hidden fees, extra challenges. So if you're doing some online shopping, do it through the Amazon links. Help me out. Go to podcastone.com. Click on the Keep Our Podcast Free banner at the top of the page. UAG, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Bookmark it as well so you can get to those links in one easy click. All right. Had a great time this weekend uh, after WWE and during WWE Calgary and Edmonton. It's always fun for me to go 
uh, and do that loop, especially now that there's no TVs. It's just live events. And as you know, I'm just doing live events for January and February. It's already February. I got, I think, 10 of those events already in the books or nine already in the books. Only got a few left. It's Jacksonville, uh, Canton, Ohio, Tampa, Fort Myers, Madison Square Garden, Toronto, Buffalo. Um, so they're winding down already. We're already on the back end of it. But, man, I had a great time this weekend in Calgary and Edmonton. I got in on Friday night, went over to my wise cousin Chad's house, and he's a real vinyl phobe. He loves uh, LPs. So we just listened to, to albums all night. We listened to Streetheart and Loverboy and put on some uh, Black Sabbath Speak of the Devil. Uh, it's actually the Aussie Speak of the Devil where he does nothing but Black Sabbath songs. Um, had a great conversation with Rudy Sarza who played bass while we were listening to that, which is always cool. Also had a conversation with Paul Stanley about cooking. He was telling me all about his uh, upcoming uh, cooking and recipes, and we're talking about chicken, how he cooks his chicken, how, how I cook my chicken. This is how I cook my chicken, people! But, uh, yeah, it's pretty funny when you're having a conversation with Paul Stanley and then also Rudy Sarza while you're listening to Speak of the Devil. <laughs> and Speak of the Devil, if you haven't seen the Quiet Riot documentary, well, now you're here. There's no way back. It was on Showtime uh, a couple days ago. Amazing documentary about the rise and fall of uh, a very underrated band uh, in Quiet Riot. If you listen to the Metal Health album, then that is a great, great album. So if you get a chance to check out that documentary, Rudy Sarzo is in it, uh, go watch it. So uh, we did that, me and Wise Cousin Chad and Speedway, of course, just drinking, yeah, boys, and just starting to go nuts and filming stupid videos. And, you know, we were going to do a podcast, but we got too drunk, so we didn't really have time to do it. And, you know, the Speedway leaves, and I pass out for a few hours. Then I wake up. I got to drive to Edmonton, where I meet up with my cousin Todd and his family. They live there, so I had lunch with them. Then I went over to the venue, and I had a podcast interview with a, a multi-time world champion who you're going to love. I'm really excited. I got him. He's been on my wish list, wish, list, wish list for a while. Then did the show in Edmonton, worked with Cesaro again. And some nights, you know, every every show you do, you strive for it to be amazing. And some nights they are, some nights they aren't, some nights they're okay. But you get certain nights that are just like those perfect, all the fruit line up, and you leave the ring just going, oh my gosh, that was so amazing. Not just the match, but the crowd, the atmospheres, the reactions, everything. That's what it was like in Edmonton on uh, on Saturday night. It was such an amazing night, and it was a lot of fun. So cool to have uh, my cousin Todd there checking it out. Then I went over to um, YEG Dance Club right across from, from the um, – uh, the Rexall Place Arena. I was invited there, taken care of by some very nice people. Uh, AJ over there and a couple of the cats. Basically just to go hang out, have a couple of drinky winkies and uh, sit around <laughs> and get paid. So it's always cool to do that. And I uh, got to hang out with my buddy David Benoit and always cool to see him. He's doing good. He's a good kid. So we had fun. And it was funny because they, I went to the hotel first to drop off my car. David and I drove over there. And I said to the guys, listen, can you send someone to come pick me up? Because I don't want to drive home from the club, you know. And uh, they're like, I hey, will send a limo for you. I'm like, ooh, I'm, aren't I fancy? Uh, they sent a limo bus, a party bus. And it was just me and David. And the guy's like, I thought you would have a whole entourage. And it's like, no, I don't have an entourage. I just have my friends. So me and Dave sat in the back of the uh, party bus, you know, sits like 40 people. Just me and him in the back with the stripper pole just hanging around. So I had a great time at that. Stayed up way too late once again. Had to get up early to drive to Calgary because it was an early show, a 1 o'clock show. Got a chance to run into Lance Storm there, and Bret Hart was at the show. Why they didn't put Bret on the show, even because it drives me nuts. It's so stupid that they have Bret Hart 
one of the best of all time, sitting backstage, but they don't have anything for him to do on the show in Calgary. But whatever, none of my business. That show was kind of the exact opposite of the Edmonton show. It was very quiet. The crowd was a little more uh, subdued. But it happens sometimes. We still wrestle hard, still had a, a cool match. And Cesaro is a great, uh, great performer. I'm having a lot of fun working with him, helping him work on his promos and just uh, rocking it. After that, uh, I saw my friend Ajax and his family. Chad came again, wise cousin Chad. Spiwi was there. Lon, who's a good friend of ours, uh, he had a lot to do with the Boots story, if you heard that a couple weeks ago. So then we drove up to Banff. And as we drove up to Banff, listened to my friend Chris Hardwick's podcast, The Nerdist, with Martin Short and Paul uh, McCartney, which was great. We get to Banff. We stay at the amazing Fox Hotel. Thanks to all the fine people there. Went to the room, just started drinking again. Then went to the Keg, which is a great restaurant. Had a great meal. And just having so much fun. Like, you get certain guys together. You guys have heard Spiwi and Wise Cousin Chad and Lon. And we're just laughing our heads off. And, you know, like, you know, we all have solo cups. And everyone has to write a funny name on it. So my funny name was Gitchington. Chad was C. Hadley Watkins, which was the... Uh, uh, actor name I gave him years ago when we were kids. He wanted to be an actor. So we can't be Chad Hollowatic. You need a show business name. So he was C. Hadley Watkins. Lon was Scatman. We're not sure why. And Spiwi was uh, Bukowski because he's been going through this Bukowski phase where he's very pretentious and uh, tells all the girls that he likes that he's uh, into Bukowski. Then we went to the grotto uh, hot tub and just hung out there for a while and I had gotten this really disgusting picture from from a friend of mine and sent it over Spiwi, and he sent it to, uh, I don't know who he's trying to send it to, but he ended up sending it to this uh, girl he's been dating, and it was really bad. And he's like, no, I didn't do it. Lon did it, and super, super embarrassed. And this picture, guys, was one of the grossest pictures I've ever seen in my life. So that's how Spiwi picks up the chicks. <laughs> I think he was able to talk himself out of it, but uh, he hasn't seen her since, so we'll see what happens. And then after rocking it all night, we got up early, and uh, well, not too early. We hit the hill by about 11 o'clock and went snowboarding all day in sunshine up in Banff. It was beautiful weather, minus one, just ripping it up on the snowboard, and I didn't wipe out once, and man, nothing better than being on the hill. Just had a great time, then went to the Calgary Flames, won a big Jets game last night with Ajax and Chad and Spiwi and Lon and uh, Hippie Ray and Al Kinnear and all the boys. And uh, yeah, it didn't work out too well for the Jets. They lost 5-2. But anyways, point being, it was a great weekend. I had an amazing time. Always a blast to go back to Calgary and Edmonton. Always a blast to um, you know be around friends and get a chance to uh, do a couple shows in the area where I grew up. So... I thank you, Mother Calgary. I thank you, Edmonton. We will see you again soon. I guarantee it. And we're going to be seeing Andy Beersack for Blackville Brides very soon. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. All right, yeah. here with my uh, good friend, Andy Beersack. Is it Beersack or Beersack? How do you pronounce it? Uh, I think it's Beersack because that's how we pronounce it in my family, but it was one of those things where I've been told that uh, the correct pronunciation is something else, but oh, okay. I guess we just chose Beersack, which is possibly the ugliest way you could say it. 
beer zock or something has a much beer more. Zock. Yeah, I think maybe it's just a little bit too Germanic. I don't know. Yeah. Did, uh, did people bug you when you were in high school at beer sack? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, more often than not, I was referred to as ball sack, which is, you know. Of course. Uh, yeah. It's a wonderful nickname for a child. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. I never cursed my parents for uh, having that last name. I like I like the beers. Beer zock. Yeah, it, it sounds, sounds aggressive. Like a, like a German death metal band. Yeah. Beer yeah. zock. That's why I like that band, uh, the Japanese punk band Balzac. I thought yeah. I had a kindred spirit just with the it's name. Perfect. You have to guest on them. Yeah. You have to do like one of those seven inch singles for Record Store Day. Yeah. Beerzak versus Balzac. Yeah, Beerzak and Balzac. <laughs> Attack of the Sack. <laughs> Put that on the marquee. Yeah. Now you were saying, uh, you texted me earlier and you said that you were uh, down in the parking garage hanging out and uh, you were early, which is very rare for a musician in LA, no less, too. You say hanging out in the parking garage like I was having a party down there. Uh, it's usually. <laughs> trying to pick up some tricks. Yeah, it consists of. Uh, <laughs> I, my manager told me early uh, in my career that it's always best to be on time, which I think is probably true of anybody in, sure. in any uh, walk of life. Of but I, I took it very seriously. And uh, so much so that I am exceptionally early to all things. Mm -hmm. uh, I, or at least I try to be. Um, today I drove down here uh, with way too much time. And then the thing is, like, you find yourself when you know you're too early not caring about little things that bother you when you're driving. Yeah. Like uh, if somebody's driving slow or somebody's doing something stupid – for you, you're just killing time now. You might arrive closer to the actual time you're supposed to be there. So I'm just along for the ride. Which is a good point because if someone's like stopping at a yellow and you're in a rush, like, go, go, yeah, go. see, it's taking it's the stress away. I had that years ago. I sat on a plane from Calgary to L.A. with Owen Hart, the late, great Owen Hart. It was one of the only times I ever got a chance to really talk to him. And uh, he was like, yeah, man, get to the airport like 20 minutes early. Have a coffee, relax. That way you'll never be stressed out. Yeah. And I still try and adhere to that. Absolutely. Uh, you know, like you said, a couple minutes early is always better. You can kill I, time. I, I, am, I would love to say that I'm always with that with the airport. But the problem is that I am uh, I'm the type of flyer that it's always an emergency. Like I didn't know that I was about to leave on a flight. <laughs> like I don't know what it is about me and planes. But <laughs> when I go to pack, it's as if I did not know. Like someone came to my house that morning and said, go, go, go. What? We have to what? leave. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why. I will know for weeks and weeks and months that I'm leaving for tour. And the night before, I'm like, oh, I forgot about laundry. <laughs> and then, you know. I'll do you go. pack at night and then get up and go? Or do you? You get up earlier and pack and go. Always pack at night. Okay, see, that's this is a wonderful conversation, by the way. This is, this <laughs> We're talking the, about packing. This is dude, the real rock and roll. This is the right real here. stuff. Yeah. So, you know, to me, for me, I'm always too lazy at night. So I pack in the morning. I have to get up early. Like, if, you know, if I have to leave at six, I get up at five. Right. But what if you sleep in? Then there's a problem. There is a huge that's problem. The issue. There. So you're smart. Yeah, I'm. I'm not. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a morning person. Mm -hmm. uh, so much so that I'm aggressive if people try to talk to me in the morning. Like I have kind of a standing rule on the bus where <laughs> even our assistant won't speak too much to me in the morning. Not to say that I'm some sort of like jerk, but I have this weird thing where. I, I immediately, when I wake up, am angered that that happened to me. Like, how could you do this to me? How dare you how, wake me up? How yeah. could you wake me up? I was sleeping. How could you do this? <laughs> Especially on the bus when you're probably, like, waking up at, like, 2 in the afternoon yes. or something. Yeah, right? I can't believe it. <laughs> how dare you wake me up yeah. with the school kids coming home <laughs> from school? But you're talking about being on the road, and it's actually the eve of the Black Mass Tour 2015, the second leg, or the, at least in the States, I believe it's, it's the, the second, second leg. leg yeah. Hugely successful. You guys are at a completely different level now with the new record with Blackville Brides 4. Um, are you happy so far with, with the reception and how the band has grown over the last uh, year? Absolutely. How can I not be? Yeah. Um, it's, it's one of those things where uh, 
it's really hard to predict or it's impossible i think to predict what's going to what's going to work and i think people tend to insult their audience's intelligence by saying this is the thing that's going to propel us or this is the thing that's going to work because you don't know how people are going to react mm-hmm. and so you kind of do your best and you do something that you really love and uh hope that people enjoy it and uh, so far we've had a great reaction to the record um we really enjoyed making it the band is closer i've told you the band's mm-hmm. really close right now in, in a way that maybe we weren't in the last couple of three or four years. Uh, Why is that? I don't know. I think that when you first start a band, um, you the necessity of being best friends is there because you're all on the pirate ship together. You you're doing the same thing. Uh, likely you're you're struggling to get by. You're not. You're kind of you're making it from show to show. You're in a van or a car or an RV or whatever, and uh, you need to have that level of camaraderie. And mm-hmm. then once any form of success hits things start to become more comfortable and people develop lives outside of the band, which is something that you couldn't possibly imagine when you first start yeah. a band because you think that this is this is everything and I'm going to work towards it and there's nothing else and there's no home life, there's no houses, there's no mortgages, there's no cars. It's just on you know, the road all the time. Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, what we faced was what most bands face, which is that – uh, you know, it, not to say that we ever gave up on the dream or, or didn't want to keep going, but there's a certain level of like fat and comfortable that you get. <laughs> and, uh, you know, people went through uh, houses and marriages and everything else. And uh, it's not to say that any of those things are negative or positive or whatever else. It's, it's each their own in the band and everybody should have their own personal life. Um, but I think all of us got to the point where we were still putting the band first, but we had that reserve of like, mm-hmm. when this tour is over, we're going to go home. And it's good to have that home life. But I think to a certain degree, it got to the point where we were separating ourselves as individual entities within the band. Mm. And we would go on tour and work towards the greater good on tour. And then when we got off tour, it was a see you later kind of thing. Right. Um, with this record, we really, all of us wanted to make an effort to get back to the point where we felt like we were being uh, back on that pirate ship and, and doing things uh, as best friends and making sure that nothing happened. You know, sometimes it's hard for me to uh, admit that I have a, a little bit of an ego. And uh, you know, <laughs> but you're a singer. Impossible. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know, so I, I I feel like in many ways I had to kind of uh, be hyper conscious of the fact that I can kind of let things run away with my own whims and what I mm-hmm. want to do and and not. Uh, act in the responsibility of making sure that the rest of the band feels the same way. And so uh, we set kind of a precedent with this record that everything was agreed upon five ways. Every song was done where all five of us are involved. Mm-hmm. Even if it's uh, one or two people write the bulk of the song, making sure everybody has their uh, voice heard and making sure that everybody's there. I mean, um, every step of the record, all five members were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had, uh, you know, even my, my drummer flew up. We did the vocals in, in Vancouver. Even my drummer was there every single day. He wasn't tracking a thing, but he came in just to listen to me track the mm. vocals and to be there. And all of us were there for every uh, single piece of the record. And I think that that has kind of parlayed into the tour. It's one of those things that you learn as you grow older and as you've spent time in a band together. Like a band is, is, is a great band is a great team. And like a sports team or a, ho- you know, a hockey team, football team, if you play your part within that team, you'll win. If you're a center iceman and you're trying to skate back and play goalie and then skate over here to be the right winger, and then it starts to fall apart, especially as, as singers and as creative people. I know I had that issue with Rich years ago where it's like, listen, you can't do everything. Right. You do what you do best. I'll do what I do best, and we'll do it for the greater good of the band. Right. Suddenly, the band starts to win. Yeah, absolutely. You know? absolutely. you got to let that control go a little bit sometimes. Yeah, and it, and it feels great. I mean, that's not to say that I don't have those moments of like, this is the thing and we're going to do this, but the, the great thing that I have is that um, I always feel a strong level of trust with the band. Mm-hmm. And the guys in the band always know that if I'm making a move that I feel is 
uh, something that we should do, the conversation is never had from the place of like, oh, why do you think that? It's more of, you know, what, what, why is this uh, the best move? How, do, how can we agree to this and, and kind of move forward from there? And so, um, I don't know. It's just, it's a really positive Well, vibe. the original plan of the band was your vision, right? I mean, this is Blackville Brides was started by you. Yeah, I mean, the, the name, you know, yeah. I mean, we're going on nearly 10 years of, of that name mm-hmm. being a, a thing and then having it be a project. Uh, what ultimately happened with me is that I started the band when I was so young or started the, the concept, concept of yeah. the band when I was so young that it was very hard to uh, find people that wanted to uh, devote their lives in the same capacity. <laughs> We're talking about a 16-year-old who's saying, hey, this is the thing that I'm going to do and this is our whole life. And then a lot of times, especially where I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, a lot of the people that I grew up around had jobs and kids and you know that, that, that sort of thing where uh, someone who is 21, 22 from a small town who has the c- capability to play bass or guitar or whatever in a band – the likelihood is that that's not their number one. Mm-hmm. Their onus on their life is not placed on being in a band. It's being like a uh, sacrifice yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I wound up facing kind of the revolving door of band members for years until I relocated to Los Angeles. And then that's when I met the guys who have been in the band for the last six years. Did you drive out here or take a bus, get your dad to drop you off? <laughs> no, I, uh, I, so I saved up uh, my stake of $600, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I quickly burned through. Um, in a day. Yeah. And I, uh, I came out here, uh, just basically with the idea that I, w- I was going to do it. And uh, I dropped out of high school uh, a few months before my graduation. Literally the day after I turned 18, I, I came out here. And uh, I just I lived in my car. I had a, a black Cadillac Eldorado that I, I came out here with, and I lived in it uh, in uh, – I've told the story before. I lived in the parking lot of a, a, great a rehearsal space called uh, ABC Studios in North Hollywood. No relation to the ABC. Uh, this was just <laughs> ABC chain. like the beginning of the <laughs> alphabet, not you know, nothing to do with the, uh, the television. Uh, and uh, I, I lived in my car because one of the things that's great about a rehearsal space is that, it, especially lockouts, is they're 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So you can have their car – people can have their car there all day ah. and night, and no one will get mad at you. So for you never had a there. space there. People would just assume it's somebody who's, work, who's playing. Well, we wound up working up to getting a space there. <laughs> so <laughs> I was anyone, around a lot. I knew the rates. Did everyone ever, anyone ever come out in the parking lot and like, hey, sure, can't yeah, stay here? Yeah, and the first person that came out in the parking lot just to say hello because he was also living in his rehearsal space slash his car – was uh, Chris Holmes of Wasp? Wow! Fame. Yeah, no so kidding. That was my first friend in Los Angeles. <laughs> now, anybody, Chris was the guitar player of of, of uh, Wasp, and is nuts. Like in in a good way, maybe in a bad way sometimes. But he's was, a, yeah, he's got an interesting disposition. So he just yeah. came out to wander. What's up, dude? Yeah, and to show me his guitars that he had been building out of like tree trunks. <laughs> And uh, he's the guy who goes, "Hey, dude, let's party!" Yeah. In Blind in Texas. There yeah. you go. Yeah, he. Uh, so we had a. Uh, he had a rehearsal space, which I guess he lived in. I went in there once, and it was sort of like, you know, like in a, uh, a suspense thriller, there's like the room where the guy yeah. has been like really like ruminating on the guy he's trying to go after. And yeah. he's got a, sort of his career was like the thing that he had been. Like all the pictures yeah, on the wall? Yeah, there was pictures everywhere and like, you know, things that led to this and that. And he's telling the stories, and there was people sitting in there. And it was like a really <laughs> wonderful crash course in like how rock, rock and roll Los Angeles can be. And, uh, you know, it was nice for me because as a kid, you come out and you think you have these kind of delusions of everything mm-hmm. is glitzy and wonderful. And then you're pretty much immediately met with kind of the parade of delusions. 
fiction that exists. And, and the reality. Yeah, of the so I still got to kind of uh, stray from the reality by <laughs> living in my car next to Chris Holmes. It's like there's still rock and roll is still alive. <laughs> when I was a kid, I remember seeing like if someone was on a record, especially if they had two records, I thought, oh, they're, they're rich. Yeah. Like it's like if I someone on, saw someone on Stampede Wrestling, like Goldie Rogers, sure. oh, he must be making 100 grand a year. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's making like 50 bucks every second. <laughs> but you just thought, like, he's in a band, he's got a record, they're huge. Yeah, absolutely. And you I know? think that that's one thing that, uh, I, I think it, it can be an issue, but I think that w- with a young kid, because they think that they're going to come out and then they're going to get a record deal and then it's going to be this big thing. But um, in some ways, I think it also it's it's important to cut your teeth. And mm-hmm. uh, I am thankful for the 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 trials that I went sure. through to get to this point because I feel like if I had been someone who came to L.A., met the right group of dudes, got a million-dollar record contract, and everybody said, hey, kid, you're going to be a star, I, I think I wouldn't have had the respect level of, like, touring in a car mm. and being too tall for the car and having to put my feet out the window in the winter, which means wrapping up my feet with socks so they wouldn't freeze overnight. Like, those experiences, when I look at us being in a, in a bus with, you know, a truck full of uh, gear and video screens on stage and all that stuff, it means more to me now. And if it crashes and burns tomorrow and people stop listening to Black Veil, it means that I had the opportunity to kind of have that trajectory and to learn something in my life. It, it, it gives you, like you said, not just professional experience, but life experience, and it hardens you in a good way. Like, you're an old soul. You and I get along really well. We're really good friends, and there's, there's a quite an age difference between us, but I never notice it ever. Sure. You know, um, you definitely could tell that you have these experiences that have kind of pushed away a lot of the prima donna kind of temper tantrum type stuff that younger guys would have. I've had my fair share of temper tantrums. (laughs) I I have them all the time. (laughs) I have them all the time. But this is one of my favorite stories, and you told this when you were on my uh, my radio show a couple years ago, but I want you to tell it to to the audience here about the the, the video Knives and Pens, which is, I think, at 52 million views on YouTube. Sure, and if if our previous label had not sold the rights to the video to a separate company, we would have had combined over about 150 million views. Oh, it had to start over again? Yeah, well, no, there's still the one that we uploaded, then there's the one that our ex-label ah. put up under a different company, which also has about 56 million views. So, so there's about 100, 150 million, that's got to be a record. I don't know. It's got to be up so. there. I, I mean, when you got Psy out there, it's very hard, <laughs> uh, you know, it's hard for a little kid with swoopy bangs to keep up. <laughs> Whatever uh, happened to old Psy? Poor guy. Yeah, I don't know. Well, he's, he's dancing somewhere. Gangnam style. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's silent. I knew he was somewhere. done when I saw him in an animated movie about squirrels. That okay. I took my kids to, and at the end he came out and danced with the squirrels. I'm like, he's done. We'll that is the death note like, it is. for most people. If, the, if there's the ever one song for a pop star <laughs> yeah. is when you are an animated squirrel. <laughs> That's it. You're done. So, uh, so, we're, so this this video is, is is massively popular, and it's your first video, the first thing we'd ever seen from Black Veil Brides, mm-hmm. and how. Did you put this together? So I, uh, this is still within the time period where uh, I was living in my car or bouncing around. And then I, uh, I wound up getting in a relationship with uh, a girl who was an actress at the time. And I'm still an actress. But Is uh, that out here in time. L.A.? Yes. Okay. Uh, and she's still an actress. I, and I, but I'm saying at the time mm-hmm. we were together. And uh, I, it was one of those situations where... I don't know if you've ever seen, like, uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where, like, he has to hold the purse and, yeah. like, you know, that kind of thing. Which, you know, it was uh, nothing against her or anything. It was just that I was uh, a nobody in a nothing rock band at the time sure. who, you know, was just a young kid. who You know, we had a, a positive relationship as much as you can when you're that age. I think mm-hmm. I'm 17, 18 at the time. Or, yeah, I was 18 right. at the time. And uh, it, it was just kind of one of those kind of, you know, tumultuous child relationships. But uh, being that I had nothing and no money and no place to live – 
it allowed me the opportunity, and thank God to her for it. I had a couch to to, to sit on. I right. had a bed to sleep in. I had a way of, of kind of existing, and this is around the time when social media is kind of making its its big push. You know, MySpace is kind of at its height. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have Twitter yet, but you have kind of the, the Facebook MySpace kind of thing, and uh, I had a great deal of time to sit on those things and kind of cultivate a, a network of people. Uh, prior to moving to Los Angeles, I had a handful of songs that I had recorded in a basement in northern Kentucky. On a four-track or something? Uh, or? It was done on uh, a, a very early computer. It was done on Logic, like the first version mm-hmm. of Logic, okay. yeah, yeah. with uh, like MIDI drums and everything <laughs> like that. Not, it, you know, Did uh, you play guitar on it? I played bass on it somewhat okay. uh, because the guy who was in the band at the time uh, got into a bar fight and broke his hand the night before we were supposed to record it. So of course, uh, yeah. So there was there was a, multiple instrumentation that, w- that was done in it by uh, different people, but most of which was my best friend at the time, a guy named Chris Stewart, mm-hmm. who. Uh, unfortunately, just because of circumstances in his life, he could not come out to L.A. with me. Mm-hmm. He was the person that I had kind of banked. He and I would go together. together yeah. um, he was – and still a great friend of mine. We're family friends and everything. Uh, great songwriter, mm-hmm. great musician. Um, and so we wrote this song, Knives and Pens, together. And uh, I had it, and I didn't really know what was going to happen with the band. At this point, now I'm in L.A., so I've spent a great deal of time kind of, you know, the Steven Tyler, like, fake it till you make it thing. I, I, had, <laughs> I had told everyone who cared to listen that there was this wonderful, amazing band that existed, and I had these songs that I had recorded. So up on MySpace, I had recorded songs, but there were no members. It was a band it was of one. You, it was right? me. <laughs> if I could do, like, you know, the old-timey multiple instrument thing with the, <laughs> yeah. the drums and the, everything. Yeah. The symbols on the knees. Yeah. <laughs> if I could have done that, I would. Have. But, uh, you know, so I, I, I'm still on the search to find band members at this time, but I, I'm, I barely know anybody. I, the only community of people that I really know are the people that I met at the rehearsal space Chris and Holmes. now uh, my girlfriend at the Times uh, friend group. Mm-hmm. So those are the, kind of the only people that I know. Uh, one time she's filming a movie in uh, Georgia and uh, basically asked if I want to come along during the filming. And I say, yeah, I have nothing else to do, so I, I may as well. You know, I'll come down and help out and, and do whatever I can. Probably mostly be in the way, but you know, I'll yeah. have, it'll be some time to kill, and I can do what I do, which is be on the internet and try to find people to kind of join me in this <laughs> thing. Band, right. uh, and so I went down there. As I got off the plane, I realized that I had left my wallet in the plane. Um, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but they won't let you back yes. onto the plane if you leave something That's on it a few times. Yeah. So desperately trying to get back on, I realized that now I'm in Georgia. With no exit strategy because I have no identification. I don't have a passport at this time and I have no ID. And it, I, I, were you just on the, in the gate or were you actually out of the gone from the airport? I literally just gotten out of the plane. And they wouldn't go back wouldn't and get it for you? Wouldn't let me back on. And then the woman says, I'll go look and see and does a cursory look, of course, comes back. No, there's nothing here. And I kept telling her, just so you know, I am poor. So if you do take the wallet, there is nothing in your future in terms of monetary gain here. <laughs> yeah. uh, so... <laughs> No, uh, to no avail. I, uh, I I get off and I realize that now there's there's nothing I can do. So I contact. At this point, I'd still not switched over to a California ID. Mm-hmm. I was still a Ohio, Ohio resident. Um, and so I, I call the the DMV and I find out that it's going to take like six weeks sight unseen to get uh, a new ID sent because mm-hmm. I have to fill out all this paperwork. Otherwise, I'd have to go to a DMV. Right. I'd ha- still have to go to a DMV in Atlanta and all this stuff and. I go, well, it looks like I'm just staying here with you for the duration of the filming of this movie. So I will be here every day if you have anything for me to carry or what have you. Uh, So 
lo and behold, I had uh, an exceptional amount of time to kill every day, which usually consisted of standing very near the craft service table and waiting for them to put down more things that I could eat, <laughs> yeah. and then sort of doing a once around the set, Looking, walking back to the craft service table. Nodding your head wisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sort everything of, looks yeah, good here. Yeah, everything looks good. Yeah. Making what, a movie over there. That's great. <laughs> what movie was it? Uh, it was uh, Halloween 2, directed Ooh, by Rob Zombie. Nice. Yep. Okay. So... Uh, I and everybody was super nice down there, so I didn't have any problems. It was just that I had nothing to do. So mm. you know, it was I could I could sense that I was more annoying. Than, <laughs> I mean, because come on, you just have this eighteen-year-old like punk kid walking around, you know, messing with his swoopy hair and like eating all your craft service and pr- giving nothing to the production. <laughs> right. At the time, you know, I probably didn't have as much awareness on it, but I was like, ah, probably annoying people. So I should I should make a friend. Mm. And uh, the one guy who kind of gravitated towards me was this guy named Patrick Fogarty, who. Uh, his job on the set was to film all of the B-roll and behind-the-scenes footage for the DVD release. Okay. So he, too, had a great deal of time to kill because in between takes, somebody from Weinstein says, hey, come on in, film this, and we'll kind of set it up, talk to Rob for a minute, come out, and then you stand out there at craft service for a while, too. <laughs> so we would stand together. And uh, he w- wore a uh, Detroit Tigers hat often, so I started referring to him as Magnum. And uh, Perfect. You know, so that was kind nice. of our little thing. And uh, he had a mustache at the time, just basically teasing. Once again, you, once again, you're 18. You should not know who yeah. Magnum PI is, but sure. you're an old soul. Yeah, so. references. I <laughs> yeah. love references. A lot of references you got. Uh, so we get to talking, and uh, he says that you know, I, most of what I do at home is I do a lot of like commercial editing and that kind of thing, but I also uh, have gotten into doing music videos. And of course, I say, well, you are in luck, sir, uh, because you happen to have met a man who definitely has a full band and would love to make a music video. The with hottest you. band in LA yeah, exactly. right now. The hottest band in the world. So, yeah. <laughs> me. Yeah, me. So you're like Lars when he called Brian Slagle and said, if I put together, if I, can you put my band yeah. on Metal Massacre? Do you have a band? No, I'll find one. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> right. that's sort of the. I, I went very high there. Exactly. <laughs> that's uh, good, yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that was kind of the thing. And uh, so time passes. The, the movie's over. I go back home. Mm-hmm. Nothing's really come of that conversation. And, again, I'm banking on what I've normally banked on, which is that people don't listen to people that are telling them about how great their band is. Of course. And so I'm just banking that maybe that guy took it to heart, but for the most part, probably not, and he's moved on to the next yeah. thing. Uh, I get a call out of the blue one day. Hey, it's Patrick. Uh I have some time. If you can get together a budget, let's make this video. You know, send me a song. And so first reaction is, well, I'll buy some time. I'll send him a song. I send him three or four songs. We agree that Knives and Pens is the song. And he says, all right, let's do it. Now, what kind of budget can you get? And I said, here's the thing. Uh, I do not have a full band, nor do I have any money at all. And, and, and we don't have a label. Uh, so I'll make you a promise, Patrick Fogarty. If you do this video for me for free and I can somehow acquire a small budget, I promise you that you will be making all of my videos and that when I'm signed to a big major label, we're going to make a movie together. We're going to do everything together. Mm. And again, I don't understand. To this day, I tease him because I don't understand why he believed the lie of an 18-year-old. But uh, he said, okay, sounds good. Let's do it. Not so much a lie, though. It was it was your confidence in yourself. Sure, but right. uh, something that isn't true yet <laughs> yeah. is still, I think, right. theoretically a it's lie. It's a dream. Right? Yeah, it's, like, a, it's a dream. dream. Yeah, it's a lie dream. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> dream lie. And so uh, I then... Get off the phone, and I realize that I have to find a band because we've set this date, and I'm going to make this video. And uh, I go to my girlfriend at the time's friend, who is a female drummer. And who I who was say, the girl? She was in Halloween too. Uh, her name is Scout. Scout. I was yeah. going to guess Scout. Yeah. So Scout uh, Thompson or something. Taylor, Taylor Compton. Taylor, yeah. That's it. So I, I go to her friend, and I say, um, 
you know, you you are a drummer. Uh, I know that we don't know each other very well, but I'm making this video, and really what I need you to do is to pretend to be the drummer in my band <laughs> for the video. Yeah. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. The other thing that I need you to do is to give me some money. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how much you might have, but I promise I'll pay you back the money that you give me. Uh, and so she throws in a little bit. She had a job. She was working, I think at the time, uh, she was working for Vivid Entertainment in okay. the, in the, uh, the shipping right. room or something. She was taking... Stock room. Ba- no, I think she, she was a porn delivery person or something like that. She delivered porn goods to the... Porn is here. Yeah, uh, to the local uh, townsfolk. <laughs> right. And uh, so then I went So you to, got a drummer. Yeah, I have a drummer now. So I, I remembered that there was this kid that I... Uh, played a local show with in Cincinnati named Chris, who uh, he said he was going to move to L.A., and that was kind of a thing we had talked about. And so I, wound, I found him on MySpace. I said, hey, are you in L.A.? He says, yes, I'm in Riverside. I say, great. Can you pretend to be in my video? It's next week. You know, he doesn't have any money, so whatever, that's fine. You have a guitar. <laughs> uh, and then I have to round it up because I figure I at the very least have to have a bass player. It's a two-guitar song, but I figure we can kind of fudge that in the yeah, video. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I find this bass player on MySpace. His name's Alan. And uh, he does not look the part at all, but it is the 11th hour, and I have lived with the assumption that I can throw a little black eye makeup on anybody. Sure. And uh, Put him in a dress. Yeah, whatever. he's got kind of hair, I guess. <laughs> like, he had some hair, yeah. and uh, you can take the glasses off anybody, you know? Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> and so he uh, he comes down, and then here we go. It's it's time to make the video. And the, the whole wearing all white thing, again, came from budgetary reasons of, like, we have nothing. And so mm-hmm. the white psych wall is there. Can't afford to decorate it, so let's just make this a white-themed video. <laughs> uh, and the night before the video, uh, Alan comes to me crying, and he says that his girlfriend, who he's been dating for two months, dog died in San Jose, and he needs to fly there right now to be with her. And I go, Alan, I feel like this could potentially be a mistake that you will later regret. Yeah. Uh, Plus, you're flying. You just told me you had no money. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. So, and but the, he literally lays. The, uh, it was my base. It was a you know a Nikki Six uh, Thunderbird. You know, of course, the of course. prerequisite. Got to have that. Got to have it. Right. And uh, and uh, he lays it down, leaves. We never see him. And then the video is being shot in like I love six the sim- hours. The symbolic gesture of laying the base down. Yeah, like he, I'm just, he literally just, laid it on the floor. Boom. See I didn't later. have a case, so it was just sort of on the floor. He did that. Uh, <laughs> so now you're down to three. Down to three, including myself. And uh, I look through the stock room at uh, it's called Atomic Studios in downtown LA, and they have an exceptional number of all white mannequins. So I think instead of having band members, let's just trick them with how many things are going on. So we pile fifty mannequins, uh, mannequins with no face. Right. Mannequins sounds like an Irish bar. Uh, mannequins with <laughs> no down to mannequins. Yeah, uh, and so we put them all there. Of course, they're washed out as soon as the the camera turns on. Right, but it's all white. Yeah, yeah, it's all white. But there, there's the idea that there's something there. We shoot the video. Uh, we shoot as a three piece. Yes, and then the thought is that I wanted to have. Uh, storyline, and so I wanted to kind of tell an element of the story of what it's like to have been me growing mm-hmm. up in the area that I grew up in, and kind of being uh, outcasted for my interest in music or my visual interest or whatever else. Um, and so we we did a, a casting, which is amazing. If you've ever done a casting uh, <laughs> with when you are paying no money, there's a guarantee of no money. The people that come in for that are the greatest people of all time <laughs> because these are people it. that are just trying to do something. Right. And so we had a casting for like a child. The idea was that it would be like 12 to 14 kind of alternative looking kid. Most of what came in was 
eight-year-old girls singing The Sun Will Come Out Tomorrow, like, hi, I'm Dorothy with the William Morris Agency. <laughs> the Sun Will Come Out, that whole, the Louis C.K. thing, that whole, like, the, right. that sort of vibe. That's mostly what came in. And then one kid came in named David who came in and sang, uh, like, every every song off of the first three Alice Cooper records just, like, consecutively. Yeah, and, like, well. we're like, we didn't ask for that, but at least you know it, <laughs> so you. thank you, yeah. and you're our kid. <laughs> and so he was in the video. We shot him at uh, a couple different locations, stole some locations. We snuck into a school and uh, on the weekend and filmed a bunch of stuff uh, of him in the school. We uh, used a friend's house for his room. We used my bedroom in my uh, – well, my girlfriend's bedroom in the apartment <laughs> that I lived in. Uh, <laughs> did not pay rent towards. Um, and we shot in there, and then we uh, put it up on the internet. And literally within several days, it had – I, you know, 15,000, 20,000, like crazy. From what? I have no idea. I, to this day, people, young bands will out? ask me, what, you know, how do you build that trajectory? How do you have that? And to me, the only thing I can associate it with is that we had a strong presence and there was uh, an interest in whatever this material was going to be because I had done so much used car salesman-ing, if you will, <laughs> over the years of like, come on, it's going to be great. You can't wait for it. Yeah. And then when it happened, it was pretty good. I mean, I look back at it and obviously – uh, musically and visually, there's m- done much better stuff in my career. But I look back at it and say that for the time, uh, I think it was the right thing at the right time. Um, I think that the the story in it was something that resonated with particularly the younger set of our audience. And it was the right thing to kind of give us some exposure. And mm. people really loved it. And to this day, people love it. When we play that song live, people go nuts. What year was that? That was 2009. So it's it's just like, you know, if you're thinking about like the Blair Witch Project. Or I think Paranormal Activity, the first one, I think they made it for like 15 grand. Yeah. And then it goes on to make, you know, $400 million executive produced by Steven Spielberg. So a lot of times it's not about the money. It's about the drive and the message and, and the theme that you had in that video. Because like we said, $150 million yeah. for a video that cost yeah, I, nothing. Yeah. Day, I think it, what what it was was my parents gave me uh, a little bit of whatever kind of like money that I had in in you know college fund or savings. The, the main thing was that I had uh, they donated some money, and then I had I had done some. Uh, acting when I was younger, and I had a little bit of money in what they call a Coogan account, mm-hmm. which is uh, you know money that you can't touch until you're 18. And so I had a little bit of that, and then the money that Sandra, the drummer at the time, gave me, and it was I think in all in, all in it was like fifteen hundred dollars or something. Did you uh, does Patrick still make your videos? Yeah, we made uh, Patrick has made every single video except for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we made a movie together. We made the Legion of the Black movie, which was in uh, limited release in theaters. Right, it was shown internationally. Uh, still in Mexico, it's it still shows like once a year. Fans get together and have a wow. big like Rocky Horror thing. Um, yeah, we've made huge budget videos. So you kept and, your yeah, word, absolutely. And absolutely. Did, did Sandra get her money back? Yes, she did. Yeah, <laughs> with, she with did. interest. Uh, yeah, exactly. And uh, so while she didn't, you know, uh, stay in the band, she kind of had or, musically. Our interests were never the same from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things where it was like there was a kind of a ticking time bomb of when that was going to end because she didn't want to kind of play the music yeah, that well, we were sure. heading into. But you know, she was a great sport and stayed with us for I think like two years the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand Sitting here with Andy Beerzak of the Black Veil Bride, so let's talk about your new album. It's your fourth record, and you did it with one of the most amazing, legendary producers of all time, uh, at least of our era, Bob Rock. 
Bob has not done a metal record probably since St. Anger, maybe, yeah, in 2003. I mean, the last real hard rock record that he made was the Lost Prophets record, which I think was like 2002, okay. 2003 how, or something. But that how, wasn't a, a hard rock or metal record. It was more of a you know kind of emo. Yeah, record. it's kind of emo yeah. um, English-type rock type yeah. of a thing. But as far as just a full-on hard rock metal record, I mean, yeah. that used to be Bob's forte. Absolutely. And stepped away from it probably. I don't know if he was burned out or whatever. How did you get in contact with Bob and start making this happen? Was it your idea or was it his? You know what? I, I wish that the story of, of us with Bob Rock was was more uh, I wish that there was a story where like we slept outside of his house and begged him or something <laughs> but by virtue of the fact that the band had received some form of success and, and due largely to the record that we made with John Feldman had we not made that record with John Feldman had we not Is that Wretched and Divine? Yeah, had mm-hmm. we not written uh, in the end I don't know that we ever I don't think we ever get to Bob Rock I think that that record and that song in particular is what kind of catapulted us to the point where right. people were starting to take notice of the band um, as opposed to being kind of a, a more niche market band. We kind of reached a little bit more radio play, and people were kind of taking note and paying attention. Uh, Bob had heard in the end on the radio quite a bit in, in Hawaii on the rock radio station and hmm. didn't know anything about the band, didn't know what we looked like, didn't know any drama, didn't know that I'm the few guy from the Golden Gods, didn't know any of that stuff. Uh, just we'll knew, talk about that. Yes, just knew that uh, he liked the sound of, of the band, and mo- most uh, particularly as he told me, which was really amazing for me because I'm not noted as being an amazing singer, he told me he loved the tone of my voice and the style of my voice, which, again, a very specific sounding singing voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to hear that was kind of a huge thing for me uh, and made me realize even more so that he understood the band on a level before he even listened to it. Because right. yes, we have incredible guitar players and yes, an incredible drummer and yes, incredible uh, rhythm section and all this stuff. And there's personalities and you know my bass player is a rock star and my, my uh, rhythm guitar player is a, a violin virtuoso mm-hmm. and all that. But... He understood just by listening to the music what is the dynamic of the band and why the things work. And so he contacted uh, my manager through the channels. Like he got a hold of this person who got a hold of this person who got a hold of Blasco, my manager. And uh, he basically said, hey, I'd like to produce their next record. I was in the process of of working on some of my solo stuff that I've done. Mm -hmm. And I got a call from a manager that just said, hey – uh, Bob Rock wants to produce the next Black Veil record. Is that you know? Is that cool? And I go, of course. And he goes, Would you want to have breakfast with him tomorrow? Yes, I would like to have breakfast. <laughs> so we all got up at uh, you know Bob's 7:30 a.m. <laughs> Let's go have breakfast at Swingers. <laughs> and uh, we went down to Swingers and uh, in Hollywood, and we had breakfast, and we all agreed on every part of what the record should be. I mean, w- w- really, really agreed about sonically where we wanted to go with it. And from that moment went, okay, this is it. And we got into pre-production what, right away. What was Bob's vision for you that he wanted to, to not change about the band, but what, what did he say to you when he sat down with you? Uh, he had, at the, by the time he had sat down with us, he had listened down to all of our records and mm-hmm. understood kind of the trajectory from the more uh, metalcore style or whatever you want to call it of the first record into a more kind of uh, glam or whatever you want to call it. And the second record, third record's much more kind of epic, kind mm-hmm. of bombastic thing. And proggy, he yeah. understood what before I even said it, which is that the next record needs to be a much more stripped-down rock and roll, hard rock record with the heavy guitars and everything, but much more taking the influences that uh, we love so much, like bands like Metallica and Megadeth, and applying those to the things that I love musically, which is you know punk rock music. I mm-hmm. love The Misfits, and I love Social Distortion, and I love that kind of bluesy, uh, gang vocally kind of sing-along stuff, and applying those two things to basically what we've always wanted to do but haven't had the ability to do it. He knew that kind of intrinsically. And so 
it, it was just an immediate agreement that we had that that's what what, what the record was kind of sounds a little familiar to what he told Metallica after Justice for All to the Black Album. You know, you yeah. got to strip it down a bit and make it more of a groove rock record. Absolutely. How was it working with him in the studio? Incredible. I mean, and I, I was telling you, I mean, every day, like he's he's a sweetheart. He's yeah. you know, and that's the thing is that I would get these calls uh, from press people who. You know, Metallica bio, uh, bi- biographical writers and and people who had uh, written stuff about Bob and all this, and they all wanted to know about the militant, angry Bob mm. who was uh, somebody who you know have you have you seen the dark side and this and that, and I always had to laugh because I, I said I can totally understand where if you were uh, a band. And obviously Metallica was not that band because you can see in the year and a half in life and all that, you can see that they worked hard. But I'm sure that there were plenty of bands that he worked with uh, in the the late 80s and early 90s, particularly when he was working with Bruce Fairburn as his engineer, right. who were coming in with the I'm a millionaire, I'm a fat cat kind of thing yeah. and didn't make transcendent records and probably got on his bad side and had to do something where he was a little bit more aggressive to get the work out of them. But when you look at something like Dr. Feelgood or the Black Album or Sonic Temple, those are things where clearly those guys would sure. work their asses Absolutely. off. Absolutely. Uh, our intention was to do that, not to walk in and say, hey, Bob Rock, let's do a record. Because no. the thing is, we live in a day and age where in 2015, it's being in a rock band is somewhat like being a rotary telephone salesman or, you know, like a black and white TV Interesting. salesman. Interesting. Now explain that statement. Uh, it's to a mass market and a mass media, what we have and what we provide is a service that many look at as a nostalgia product. Mm. Um, that movie, Rock of Ages, what's the punchline? Rock and roll is the punchline. Yeah. Remember when rock used to be around? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how people see it in a large way. Yeah. Um, it's for better or for worse, it is the way it is. Uh, we get to have an opportunity within our fan base and the people who do listen to us and as the band grows to hopefully uh, turn people into loving rock and roll music and enjoying the environment and the vibe and everything. And there's so many bands, young bands that have come out that are also doing that. Bands like Asking Alexandria and many mm-hmm. others that have that vibe going on. Avenged Sevenfold is a great example of Perfect, that band yeah. who uh, really now is on top of the world and started out with the same kind of beginnings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's possible to transcend that and to be uh, in the, the mass market public appeal. But when you look at rock and roll, we sort of only have and, – and I love Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters, but we get like one guy. We yeah. have Dave Grohl. Yeah, he's, and that's, he's, your he's our guy. representative at yeah. all award shows, at all things. They'll trot out the rock guy, and it happens to be a really badass cool guy. But it's yeah. sad that it's only one person that we ever get. I was driving down Sunset the other day, and it was an old billboard for a uh, – July four no Memorial Day November eleventh or whatever I'm from Canada I don't know whenever Memorial Day is in the states when it I'm is. from the United States and I don't remember <laughs> when Memorial Day is. November something or other and it was the big billboard it was Kanye West and it was you know Beyonce and it was you know all these bands and then and in the middle it was Metallica they were yeah. the token rock guys yeah exactly you know and so that you either get Grohl and the Foo Fighters or you get Metallica yeah. and that's it so. and there's something to be said because those are two exceptional artists beyond um, mainstream yeah yeah uh, and and there's a reason why they're successful I'm not one of those guys who goes oh boo you know, no, 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 of course. I understand the success. I just think that it's harder to get to that point now because it's not – there's not so much culture – our culture doesn't put the onus on rock and roll the way that it does hip-hop or right. genres because hip-hop, for better or for worse, has uh, an aesthetic. It has a, a culture. It has poetry. It has a vibe. It has art. Those are all things that rock and roll had and still has when you look at like where we exist in the Warped Tour and those kind of things. But the mainstream culture doesn't see it that way. The mainstream culture sees rock and roll as Mumford and Sons mm. and the least vibey thing. What is the least vibey thing? Meanwhile, the hip-hop world and the pop world jock all the aesthetic values of rock and roll music. And, country, all wearing, and country. Yeah, they're yeah. all wearing leather jackets and they're all wearing misfit shirts and whatever else. But it's not because of 
rock and roll being important, it's because they're taking their cherry yes, picking. The so to be in a rock and roll band in this day and age, it's harder to kind of transcend that. So uh, to, to get back to what I was saying, it's very important that you uh, try to find a way to uh, – if you're not going to succeed on a multi-global amazing way or whatever, uh, to have something that is important that can hopefully catapult your career to the next step mm-hmm. and to be moving incrementally towards something that is a, a mass success. Right, right, right. And, and, and Bob and, and his – did he help you with the songwriting as well or the arrangements? Bob was around from uh, day one. He's not so much a songwriter as he – I would say, yeah, he's, he's much more of a – he's an orchestrator. Mm-hmm. He will sit there for four hours and, and not say anything and then – He'll say one thing that changes the entire scope, and it's gotcha. the most right thing you've ever heard. Uh, and so we basically, his whole process was we wanted to do the same process that he went through with the Black Album, which is extensive pre-production that we did what he referred to as homework, which is to always, always, always be writing and to be jamming together in the room. And maybe a song will work out, maybe it won't, maybe we'll get something great, maybe we'll scrap it. But to only have the number of songs that we're going to record and to have them perfect and to be working constantly. So every single day we were in a rehearsal space in North Hollywood uh, working and working and working until we had that honey, honey. Yeah. Drum sounds, all that sort of stuff? Everything, He's yeah. notorious for his drum sound. Well, he asked Cece, my drummer, what sound he want or what kind of tone he would want. And Cece was just like, the black album, <laughs> that works. Uh, Which is funny because almost every album has that sound anyways because you just sample Lars's kick and snare yeah. from that onto yeah, everything. the death kick. Yeah, 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 and the kick snare. But we actually, we actually didn't uh, – we took a great deal of time to uh, build the, the drum sound. And we recorded – the other thing was that he wanted to do – he didn't want to put it in one studio and have it all be one value. Mm-hmm. So to get the perfect drum sound, we sampled rooms all around L.A. and found mm. the room that had the best drum tones. So we recorded at a place called Steakhouse, just the drums themselves, mm-hmm. um, and all kinds of different methods with mics. All, all the doors open, all the mics everywhere, and like it was, it was a very interesting process. Mm. Um, we had uh, a guy named Mike Fasano come in, and he was our, our drum tech on the record, and he brought in – we had what they call Big Red, which is the snare that they Ex, used. Ex-Warrant drummer. Mike yeah, Fasano. yeah, yeah. They, and they used uh, – the Big Red. Big Red was the, the snare on Use Your Illusion and, and oh, so many other things. Oh, wow. And so we, that, we wanted that snare sound. We wanted the what, what they call the Pat Boone, Debbie Boone, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, <laughs> which if you listen on Use Your Illusion is every single fill. Wow. Which apparently uh, – Sorum says that, that, that Axel required that that fill is on every single song. But if you listen to yesterday or anything, you're, you're going to hear dun, 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 dun. So no we kidding. had, there was one song where I was like, I really, I don't care if it's cheesy, I want that fill <laughs> in the it. song. Yeah, have and it. so he's like, well, I have the snare if you want to use it. I was like, put it on every song, just that <laughs> snare, always. Yeah. Uh, so we, yeah, it was like a lot of, of that kind of stuff. The guitars were all recorded um, at my guitar player's house. He's got his own home mm. studio. And uh, my, my lead guitar player is an exceptional engineer. Uh, at first, we suggested that he do the guitars, and Bob was a little wary. And he's like, all right, well, I'll come over every day, and I'll do it with you. And after one day of doing it, Bob's like, that's all right. Just send them to me when you got them, and they're perfect. And uh, they went through, I mean, before this happened, before the guitars were actually recorded, this was weeks and weeks of, of tone building. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm talking... So more amps than you've ever seen and more combinations of tones than you've ever seen to get the perfect tone. Uh, and I love the tone that we have uh, mm-hmm. on so many of the songs on the record. Um, vocally, wanted to record it, wanted to go up to where they used to have Little Mountain in where they recorded the Black Album up yeah. in Vancouver. So many classic um, records. That doesn't exist anymore, but the board still exists. And so they okay. moved the board to uh, a studio 
in Gastown in Vancouver. And let's just explain that to, to the people that don't know. When you're recording a record, the studio is important, but it's the soundboard. That's right. what Dave Grohl did his whole documentary on, the right. soundboard, which is basically the whole lifeblood of the tone. And, and this and, board and is the, the same board as the studio. Uh, gotcha. So it was yeah. taken over there. So it's yeah. basically the same studio. It's basically Little Mountain with a different yeah. name. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's the same make and model of the, the Sound City board. Okay. Like they only made so many of Oh, those. the same board. Yeah, I gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and so that that is in uh, Gastown at the studio, and and so we did all the vocals up there, and we did all the additional additional instrumentation up there, strings, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and that is when we had the backup singers come in. We had uh, two guys who, uh, Mark and and Mike and and uh, I can't remember the other gentleman's name. Uh, it's going to kill Tony. me. I feel so bad. <laughs> uh, but they came in, and they were gentlemen who had sang. Uh, Bob had actually found them. They were commercial jingle singers mm-hmm. in the, uh, I guess in the, in the early '80s, and they brought them in on to do some of the. I think it was Lover Boy or something. Oh, okay. And uh, they are the sound of that '80s gang vocal sound. Like those two wow. guys stack and stack and stack, and they are the whoa yeah. I'm thinking of the, it was whoa loving every minute whoa yeah. Whoa, yeah whoa. That's that's yeah. them and uh, Doctor Feelgood. Everything. Gotcha. Every record that Bob ever made with that big gang vocal sound from Bon Jovi to everything. Uh, is those guys. And they came in and they sang all the, the gang vocals with us. We had huge gangs that they sang the leads of the gangs and we stacked all of them. Um, we had a guy named Mark Webster come in who was a former Deep Purple uh, piano player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played all the piano on the record. Um, it was just a really cool vibe. I mean, and then we wound up mixing the record at uh, the former A&M Studios in what is now Henson, which is also where they mixed the Black Album. So. All right. So you had all that stuff. You got to meet Paul Stanley when you were Paul there. Paul Stanley came in. Uh, so many people came in, but yeah, Paul. Paul came in to uh, let's to, to be fair to meet Bob or to to talk to Bob. <laughs> you know, they they had met before, but to talk to Bob, uh, I happened to have been there in the room at the time, and he was nice. You know, he knows about the band, and uh, I, I told you we got that little joke in the. What you was know, the joke? I don't. Uh, oh, I didn't recognize you without your makeup on, and I was like, oh, you, Paul Stanley. <laughs> You've been waiting all day to say that. Once you heard that we were in the room next door, I know you had that joke on your mind. He said it first thing, too. Like, he didn't waste any time. Hi, I'm Andy from Blackfield Brides. Hey, I didn't recognize you without your makeup on. Oh, sing. Oh, singer from Paul. You got me, Paul. But no, he was a sweetheart. He's really nice. And, and again, the kind of thing where meeting somebody who's been such an idol to me, and you and I have that mutual Well, yeah, love that and, and we'll talk about that in, in a bit. It's funny how we became friends through Kiss. But uh, a couple things that you mentioned. First of all was, um, I want you to tell me, I mean, this, this record came out. It's, it's, it's been a big hit. You're doing Lots of touring. The Black Mass tour starts tomorrow with Memphis Mayfire and Ghost Town. We'll give all the dates out uh, later on in the show. But um, you're a very high energy lead singer, and it's led to a couple of injuries that you've had over the years. I have sustained uh, some injuries. You yeah. even sent me an article. It was like Andy Beerzak's Beerzak's top five injuries on stage or something along those lines. Yeah, on stage. The- I had a top five on stage <laughs> injuries list. Was that in Metal Hammer or something? Yes, I yeah. think it was a Revolver. Uh, what were some of the the top ones? Uh, let's see. Let's review. 2011 was a d- difficult year for me on stage. Uh, so I would say that the most notable one that everybody talks about was the uh, destroying of my ribs uh, yeah. on stage. I, uh, we were playing a uh, record release show for our second record, and uh, we had been kind of followed all day by these video cameras, and it was kind of this thing that was going to go out on Fuse or one of these places. I can't remember. I think maybe Music Choice. One of those kind of like 
yeah, music like station. TV yeah, one of the I can't remember, but it, they had been following us all day. We did a signing out in like Encino or something at the mall, and then they followed us from there. And we had been signing and working, did two signings that day from like 10 a.m. Then we were going to play the show in the middle of the Hollywood and Highland Mall. Now, anybody who's ever been to the Hollywood and Highland Mall knows that it's not so much a mall as it is a uh, kind of an enclosed area with uh, tiers that go up on either side yeah. and nothing in the middle mm-hmm. uh, except for kind of like you know a fountain and that kind of stuff. Yeah, but there's a big area. courtyard area, and then there's tiers that go up. There's restaurants, there's stores, you know, there's a Hollister, there's a Hot Topic, there's a whatever, uh, and then it leads up into these big statues of uh, elephants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so <laughs> I, uh, we were, they had kind of built a makeshift stage for us. Uh, it was awesome. You know, we were playing the show. It was the third song in. It's packed out. The whole Hollywood Highland Mall spilling out onto Hollywood Boulevard. Full of people, stoked to see us. I'm really stoked. I'm also out of my mind, like crazy tired, and I've just been working all day. And I'm like, I gotta do something impactful right now. I gotta show these TV cameras something awesome. <laughs> and so I go, I'm gonna climb up to those elephants. Which, uh, again, I'd like to review that there is an exceptional amount of space between the ground and those damn elephants. It, <laughs> right. For the listener, if you'd like to Google search an image of the Hollywood Highland Mall, you can see that they overlook. Uh, everything. I mean, right. you can see them from the skyline. So impossible because I'm not Spider Man. I am a, a six foot two lanky guy <laughs> wearing cowboy boots and spandex at the time. Right. And uh, so I decide that I'm going to climb up there. I get maybe one or two rungs up on these marble pillars and realize very quickly that uh, I am not able to do this. What I'm trying to do. I'm wearing cowboy boots with no traction on marble pillars and. I have no exit strategy because I am now up behind the audience. Now, uh, for example, when you see an arena show, uh, half of the uh, you know crowd is sort of cut off, and then there's those seats behind. Right. Where if you're in those behind seats, a singer could not possibly jump from the behind area back into the audience to <laughs> yeah. brace his fall. So consider that to be the same basic principle here. I'm behind the crowd. There is no way for me to jump into the audience. Now, normally when you climb up to a high point at a show, you know, somebody climbs up on a speaker stack – you either have a way back down, yeah. yeah. You have a way back down. You jump down back onto the stage, or you jump into the crowd to brace your fall. Right. I am now so far from any of those options that I have no way to go. I just maybe just spend the rest of the show up here. Right. Uh, and that's that's option one. Option two is to, for some reason, and I chose option two, sit down gracefully uh, on Indian style on a marble pillar, then outstretch my legs, then tried to rocket myself using my superior upper body strength, uh, superior there should be noted as a joke, uh, down onto the stage, which is impossible uh, mm-hmm. from science. Aerodynamically, it's yeah, just can't be not done. possible. Uh, and so I fall, uh, sadly, like a ragdoll, <laughs> a glam rock ragdoll, falling down, and I fall about 15 feet, hit my ribs on this marble pillar. And it goes... Yes, yeah, smacked right away. Uh, crack all my ribs, uh, destroy. 9, 10, 11 are broken. The 11th rib is just shrapnel bone. Like, no, it just cracks into a billion wow. pieces. Uh, I now check out, and someone that I don't know goes back on stage that uh, people tell me was me. Uh, I've watched video. I don't know that guy. Uh, and finish the show somehow. But Wow. But by calling out songs that we had, A, never played, or B, had not played in years. Mm-hmm. So I think that some sort of lizard brain kicked in where I'm just like, oh, autopilot, whatever. Here's a song from our first record. They ain't talking about love. Yeah, there's some great video of me saying song names that we have never rehearsed and the band going like, I guess we should. Did they see you fall? 
No, no oh, one no knew, knew what happened because it's behind the stage. <laughs> so they just think I'm crazy. And like I had been gone for – they kept playing during the time that I was gone because they thought that I was in the crowd. Oh. Because there was no – it was a makeshift stage so the monitor system was poor. At, at the time, we weren't on in-ears. So they, yeah. couldn't, they just assumed that they couldn't hear me. So they're playing and then they realize that the song is over and it's just silence. So the song's <laughs> over. People cheer. Silence. And then I hobble back on. What's up, everybody? Let's keep going. <laughs> so I, uh, I then <sighs> am – the show was over. I'm taken off the stage. The only people that rush to my side immediately, or not the only people, but the people who do immediately rush to my side are my friends, uh, Matt and my friend Jeffrey. Jeffrey is uh, Jeffrey Star. Some people might note uh, it's kind of a famous uh, androgynous character. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't say transvestite because he's he's a male, but he you know kind of dresses yeah. in uh, female clothes and is great makeup. Wonderful guy, but a very interesting looking character Hot, yeah. considering the fact that I. I'm also wearing head-to-toe makeup and black paint all over my body and have crazy hair. And now I am being taken to the hospital with my only friend that somehow made it with me into that, into triage, is my friend Jeffrey. (laughs) So now Jeffrey, who is like an eight-foot-tall man in heels and full makeup, is pushing around a, a wheelchair of me, who I appear to be some sort of like Tim Burton, like like <laughs> drunken rough hands. sketch, yeah. like like some something where like Tim Burton was wasted. It was like I'll make up a character, like mm-hmm. that's sort of what I appear to be with broken ribs, screaming bloody murder, and pain all over me. And then I go into triage, and they can't. Of course, they do a hundred drug tests on me because they assume <laughs> he must uh, be wasted. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so then my my girlfriend, uh, my ex girlfriend at the time, or I don't remember. We were kind of on and off. Uh, same girl from before uh, comes in, and my mom is there. And then my cousin comes, and we all spend a week in a rehabilitation treatment facility where and, – and it's the funniest circumstance. It was me, Jeffree Star, my mom, my ex-girlfriend, and my cousin all in this, like, room where I'm trying to learn to walk every day. And disgustingly, wow. uh, for you listeners at home, that meant uh, that I had to pass the pieces of bone through me Ooh. because I had these shrapnel bits of bone. So that involved enemas. So nice. you haven't lived until your ex-girlfriend is giving you an enema. It's a long way way to the top if you want to rock and roll yeah. is what we're saying and yeah. <laughs> now you're mentioning too about like you know you had so many fans and people were just going nuts in, in, in the mall and everywhere you go but Black Veil Bride is also very a polarizing band especially when you first started you sure. know when you first because you guys are such good I mean you're, you're, you're a doll you're a gorgeous guy thank you so and, much and you mentioned likewise you mentioned earlier about the gold I hope this is the way the interview would go when I came <laughs> yeah there you the... go we talked about packing yeah. at first now, now let's get into the important the thing. Real thing good looking dudes the real good looking dudes uh and that, as a result, has led some people to not like you just because of the way you look, which sure. is basically life and the world, and especially in rock and roll. And the Golden Gods you mentioned, which I host, and this is where I got super respect for you. <laughs> I was watching you because you guys won the, the, the People's Choice Award, whatever they called it, Fans Choice Award, and some guys in the crowd were booing you. And I know these people, not personally, but in Golden Gods, there was always the loud mouse that would just be yelling, sure. and I would just tell me to shut up. Basically, you came up to accept your award and, 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 and continue. Uh, so it was uh, the song of the year. Uh, That's what which it was. was. The song was In the End, right. uh, which is a song that we wrote. And uh, the lyrical content I wrote about the death of my grandfather, who mm. was very close to me. Um, and then later, I had found out that he used almost word for word those same words in his eulogy for his own father when he died. So I have this really strong oh. connection to this song, uh, I don't know if you would call it spiritual or, or whatever. I have a, a very strong connection to the song. Um, means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had, when I found out that we had won this, I had prepared, not necessarily prepared a speech, but I had something that I wanted to say about 
the the death of, of my grandfather how and how important it was. Yeah, exactly. And how I, I appreciate our fans specifically for uh, voting for this because it meant a lot to me. And I, I told my parents that I was going to do this and whatever else. And as things tend to go with award shows, the things get the time frames are kind of skewed and you're right. told to go up there a little too early or a little too late. We were put up a little too early. So I think Hailstorm or somebody was accepting something on the stage. And so that put us just standing next to the crowd and in visual, like in plain sight of people who are incredibly mad that Metallica is not playing it. And I should clarify something to the listener because I often get people come up and say like, you flipped off Lemmy. Lemmy was not in the room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, Chances are you didn't yeah, flip the, off Lemmy. The yeah. artists uh, at the at the Golden Gods are up in a separate area right. uh, from the, the crowd. And so the crowd are people that are ostensibly there to see uh, whoever the headliner is, really. Yeah. The, the live bands, whether the it's Metallica, Guns yeah. N' Roses, whoever. Um, and... I understand that, but anybody that I haven't played before Metallica at uh, Download, I know that it's not the most fun <laughs> to play before Metallica. So me, now, a guy that they already don't like just talking about some shit, not even playing songs, is so much more annoying to them because I'm in front of Metallica. So I get that. But what I don't get is the barrage of abuse that is happening while we're just <laughs> trying to fucking wait to go up there to receive a thing that we didn't – it's not like we walked – sorry. It's not like we walked up there and said, hey, everybody, I know you're trying to watch Metallica. But uh, I'm going to talk for a while right now. <laughs> right. You uh, won unwarranted, an award. Unwarranted. Uh, I'm just going to talk and you're going to indulge me. No, we were voted for an award by our fans, which, again, the point that I, I would have liked to have made a little bit more clear had I not turned into, like, crazy <laughs> heel uh, <laughs> uh, was that they should have voted for someone if they were interested in someone else. Yes. Winning. But I think more than anything, the anger came from the fact that it was, A, a band that they maybe didn't like, and then, B, we were just taking the time up that they needed to be doing something else or seeing something else. I don't think that they necessarily cared who won because I don't think that every, anybody was heartbroken that Metalocalypse didn't win Song of the Year that year. Uh, so we go up there and they're, they're already throwing stuff. We're already like my dam is burst at this point. I'm already like livid and in the kind of livid where like you are way too mad at a like when like something happens like say like you go to kill a bug and you miss it and then you get super mad at that bug because like <laughs> yeah. and you're like I have to kill it now that is sort of the level of mad that is unwarranted in some capacity but also I was angry that they're being mean but I was like ridiculously mad because I had that I wanted to say and now you're yelling at me and I you know like so <laughs> it escalated very quickly and then while I was up there and not unlike what Paul said Sometimes it's fun to just say some, and so I was like, "I'm already talking. I should just keep this going. Mm. I should, I should say people, the things." Some people are booing. Yeah, I'm like, I don't care. I'll keep saying the thing that I want to say right now yeah. because you now have to listen. Yeah, uh, and they might kick me off the stage. I don't know what's going to happen at this point. No one's ever done this at the Golden Gods before, so I legitimately just wanted to make it known that a. I was upset that they were doing that and B, that it was unnecessary to be doing that and C, that I was allowed to kind of say what I wanted because I had won an award. If you're not going to let me say the thing yeah. that I wanted to say initially, I'm going to give you back what you're giving me. And mm -hmm. I think that though it isn't my most proud moment and I don't hang my hat on, wow, I'm the f you guy from uh, the Golden Gods. <laughs> like, yeah, I do, I am not, uh, I don't have regret about it in the sense that I always advocate for people to stand up for themselves and not yeah. let people give them. I think it's important that if you're out in your day-to-day -day life and somebody walks by you and says, hey, stupid shirt or whatever, you ask them, what? Why did you say that? Mm -hmm. People should atone for the things that they think are so flippant and whatever. Um, well, especially in this day and age when you can just send a tweet or say something on Facebook and you never, have to, you never have to face the music for what you've said. There's no accountability. Certainly. This was the case when there was because you were right there in their face and you turned heel on it. It was great. I loved it. Right. And, and that's kind of the thing is that, again, it's, we laugh about it now and, and I, I kind of – I make the joke that you know anywhere I go – like we played Rock on the Range the next week. 
and people were flipping me off as a sign of that. Like, hey, it's the you guy. Look. <laughs> I remember that you even said, I think there was even, it might just be my own mind because I was watching. I love this guy now. I think you might have said, shut up, fat boy. There might have been one of those in there too. <laughs> I, uh, I think, and that's, I, I, of all of it, actually, of all of it. That's the number one thing that I regret is is bringing in someone's physical appearance because that kind of goes against. Well, but it was it was tough when someone's just making fun of me for the way that I look. Making, and I'm yeah. like, bro, come on, you have cheese on your shirt right now. Like, <laughs> did you get? I mean, we've never really talked about this either. But I've I've seen a couple things. For example, when Sting came back, you wore a Sting shirt. You're sure. a wrestling fan. Yeah, absolutely. You, uh, especially when I was younger, I I was very much into uh, wrestling because of the the vibe and the and the the pageantry and the, the show like, business. Yeah, aspect. it was everything yeah. that. I loved about uh, rock bands and Kiss, especially, mm-hmm. and like it was really for me, it was a great thing. Uh, I, I loved, I loved both WCW and at the time WWF. I, I loved the vibe that happened there. Um, I still will watch WWE from time to mm-hmm. time, uh, you know. And I, I told you that, I, and we've had a great relationship with them using a lot of our songs. And, that's right. Uh, yeah. Right now, Heart of Fire is the song for the 2K15 game, and like that's it's, it's really wonderful. For As a matter of fact, there was one pay per view where there was two songs. One was both a of us. Yeah, yeah. One was a Fozzie yeah. song. I remember that. It was great. Uh, last last thing, we're talking about Kiss. I mean, you and I have become really good friends basically because of Kiss. I think maybe I saw a picture of you on Instagram. We had exchanged numbers like, hey, you like Kiss? You're like, yeah, you like Kiss? And suddenly it's like, no, we don't just like Kiss. We love Absolutely. Kiss. And, yeah. it's, and, and, and non-makeup Kiss too, which Certainly. Paul does not like from having him on this show. He's sure. Not that he doesn't like it, but he doesn't like it the way we do. What is it about the non-makeup era that you love in comparison to the makeup era? Uh, you know what it is? I think in some ways uh, – I, it was obviously an association of the time period when I first got into the band. Mm-hmm. Um, my first Kiss record was Revenge, mm-hmm. and so there wasn't the makeup. The makeup was a nostalgic right. thing, or it was you know going to be in the in the not too distant future. But at the time when I first got into the band, it wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing you know the my dad's old trading cards of the band, and I, I dug the look. Particularly, I liked the Gene look. I thought that that was really awesome. He was kind of this demon, and I'd paint my face like that every day, yeah. and particularly like. Uh, I was I loved the the hotter than hell era like the simplistic outfits I thought that that was so badass and uh, really played well with the other kind of interests that I had particularly like wrestling and stuff like it had all that vibe um, but the music for me with with revenge was like the first rock record that like I don't know it hit to me it just like that aha moment where you're like this is what I love it's my favorite kiss yeah, album this is the, the thing for me. Um, I don't know, you know, and and so from there, the trajectory of my interest just went like, okay, well, what's the one before that, and what's mm-hmm. the one before that, and I had we talked about on Christmas Day all the VHS tapes and all that stuff <laughs> took know, place right? during the non makeup era. So my immediate interest was in the band from there, and uh, I kind of worked backwards. And then when the reunion tour happened, obviously the makeup came back, but I was one going, oh, me like, too. I was one going, oh, I wish I loved the whole Bruce Kulick and Eric Singer thing. Like, why can't, why couldn't if you're gonna do the makeup, <laughs> yeah. why can't they just be in the makeup? It's especially you know? when, when Paul did the show I, I said to him like because he was talking about how ace and peter weren't very as good and the the, the shows were very loose and i said like, but you had such a tight band sure. with eric and bruce and he's like well we we gained something we lost something from from the reunion because sure. i was the same i was like oh like revenge and then carnival of souls and they were just getting back to being this kick-ass rock and roll band sure. and then they went you know back to the past which i understand however you know? with the reunion tour i think that because I, I had such a love for the aesthetic of the original band, and mm-hmm. then when I got to see them as a little kid on the reunion tour and that kind of stuff, I had a much deeper adoration at that point for that, and I was stoked that they had the makeup back on. I was the kid who, when I went to go see um, Generation Swine Tour with Motley Crue on the program, I drew little eye black on Nikki's picture because I wanted that <laughs> stuff. I liked yeah, that aesthetic. Yeah. I wanted it back. 
uh, even if it was just something as small as that. So I love that the style was back, and I have a deep love, particularly like you know, I could I could take or leave Peter. Not nothing against him. I don't sure, know him course, as a person, but his style. I was yeah. always much more of an Eric Carr fan right. of the makeup era. Um, but I, I love Ace. I love particularly like uh, the 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 stuff when he was at his best. Um, when I went to see the reunion tour, or sorry, when I went to see the farewell tour, that was not him at his mm-hmm. best. Went to see him the other night uh, in New York, and, and I had a blast. You know, he sounded he, great. He was good. He yeah. was good. You know, he's not he's not uh, a, a consistent guitar player. And you know, and in my band and what I play, the music I play, it's very consistent. Right. Kind of everything has to uh, be perfect. Intricate stuff. And so I dig the vibe of kind of the loose, jangly. You know, you can hear his rings hitting the strings and that kind of thing. So I love Ace Frehley. Um, but yeah, I was just such a fan of that era of the band and. Uh, more importantly, I, I and I've told you this, I put so much importance on the education that Kiss gave me, uh, Gene mm. and Paul in particular. Uh, I I credit them for my interview skills, whatever I have in my life, uh, in terms of uh, ability to communicate publicly or to be able to answer questions well. The things that I sometimes get credit for or praise for, I often will credit them mm-hmm. because they were the ones that really initially for me as a young kid – I had so much interest in hearing them speak, particularly Paul. I just thought he was the coolest, most intelligent dude, and I loved his his the, the way that he would use words to to explain something that maybe didn't need it. You know, you didn't need to have such crazy verbiage going on in a sentence about a rock band, but he made it seem so important, and you were pulled into and, and that Kiss world. Kiss was always about self empowerment too, right. about believing in yourself and following your dreams. And you know, like Paul said, don't listen to people who who are negative. And actually, it's funny because you and I have both done three sides of the coin, yeah. the Kiss podcast, and talked about that extensively. And because I've done that podcast, I've had Kiss magazine and some other Kiss one in Brazil call me because they want to talk about how did Paul Stanley influence your life. Yeah. And it was basically. Just just by standing up for what you believe in. You know, if someone's booing you, you tell them to F off. If, Absolutely. You know, if someone tells you you can't do something, you do it. If someone says, I'll make you a, a, a music video, I find, I got a band. Absolutely. Well, sure look at do. that video of, uh, of Paul yelling at the guy with the laser pointer. Oh, yeah. Everybody makes fun of it, but you think about... I've we've all been there. You've been there. Absolutely. Uh, where you're on stage and you're going, something is so annoying and you can't believe that somebody would want to ruin the show experience for somebody right. else that you have to call them out. I take... Uh, I, I, t- I have a great amount of respect for people that do that. And so for me, my influence came from that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the, all the reasons, maybe not, I, I was not as heavily influenced in terms of songwriting mm-hmm. by Kiss mm-hmm. as much as the original reason why I got into rock music and the reason that I love rock music so much is 100% because of Kiss. What's your favorite Kiss record? Revenge, I would have to say, yeah. Um, yeah. Just because of, again, the nostalgia factor. And it is a great record, but I just I, every time I put it on, it just it really transports It takes me. you back to, yeah. to that time, right? Uh, what's your favorite songs to play, to play live now? Uh, my favorite songs to play live? Yeah. Or uh, oh, my favorite Kiss songs? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are your favorite? Yeah, well, you guys played Unholy. Yeah, we did Unholy. Uh, what, uh, what Black Veil Bride songs do you We like? also did, and I'll tell you this. Uh, nobody really knows about this. We uh, toyed with, with Bob, we d- demoed out an entire I Was Made for Loving You done Black Veil Bride style Ooh. that exists somewhere in the world that maybe we'll record for real one day. But it was during one of the days when we were in pre-production and we kind of had hit a wall and we're like, let's just do something fun for a couple yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. And so we literally, you know, with mics in the middle of, you know, the room, old school style track, this whole demo of us doing this kind of heavy metal style I Was Made for Loving You. So maybe that'll see you the just never, That's what we did with SOS and it made on, made it on the record. You yeah, just yeah, never I heard know. about that. You yeah. just never know. It's funny because the Unholy video, I'm in it. Because <laughs> 
we were at download and we walked past each other and there's actually a picture of us walking past each other and uh i think we they, they say, hey man hey man and then it's like hey, and then now we're like buds yeah we exchange something there <laughs> yeah, though. we yeah. don't know what it is that's, you, you that's zoomed right. in on the photo <laughs> yeah some kind of pill or something yeah, i don't know there. something sure you gave me right before i went on stage <laughs> yeah some kind of spy films or something uh for black veil though when you when you play your shows now and, and you're getting ready for the black mass tour uh starts tomorrow what uh what tunes do you still really love to play and what tunes do the fans like to hear obviously i love to play new songs like anybody you have that you you have that faithless. vibe of like hey it's a new thing yeah i love to play well, faithless song. um love to play heart of fire uh but you know there, there's certain songs that in in our career i've always been excited about playing uh i love rebel love song live um i love knives and pens live because i mm. love the vibe that people get from it uh uh, Wretched Divine's a great song, but to me, the number one song in terms of the the electricity in the room is is always in the end. Just mm-hmm. because that song, I mean, it, as soon as the the first like the drum hits, it's 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 a it's it's something where, as a kid, you look up to your favorite bands and you hear them describe that moment when they play their hit or their song that was their big song. And I'm not you know I'm not saying that our song's a hit no, or whatever. No, I'm just saying it that was the song a hit. that I'll say the it. song it a hit. hit. Thank you. That you know uh, does well for them. Yeah, that moment I get to experience every night, and that's a really cool thing. Regardless of whether it's the end of the show and we're tired or whatever, when that song starts and you know we have confetti and there's all the video and everything, like it's it's a big moment. So that's that's really cool. It's a rock and roll moment. Andy, Absolutely. thanks for uh, for coming, man. It's been great. We've been working on this for a while, and uh, finally, and awesome. and I'm so sad it's over. Now. I know. It's Let's go on for it. another hour. We'll do we'll do another episode. Yeah. We'll do a lot of parts. All thanks, right. dude. <laughs> Thanks to Andy Beersack from Blackville Brides. Great guy, great friend. Their new self-titled record is out now. It's produced by the legendary Bob Rock, and he's going to be a, a guest on this show. I tracked him down. Uh, you can catch the Blackville Brides on the Black Mass Tour starting tomorrow in Richmond, Virginia, and go check out the Blackville Brides self-titled record. Get that on Amazon. Hearts of Fire is great. Faithless is great. Uh, Andy's voice sounds better than ever. This is one of the biggest, upcoming, coolest bands uh, of the new era, and uh, I suggest you go check Check them out. I also suggest that you go check out Robert Trujillo's documentary about the amazing Jaco Pastorius. And you need to do that because tomorrow, Thursday, February 5th, is the last day to help Robert get what he needs from Pledge Music to get this movie done. It's pledgemusic.com slash projects slash Jocko the film. J-A-C-O is Jocko. They got some very cool giveaways depending on your donation level. You can donate and get a 30-minute Skype call with Robert Trujillo. Talk to him about anything you want. The new Metallica record, uh, Infectious Grooves if you want to. Infectious Grooves is in the house. Or you can still donate and get an in-person bass lesson with Robert. He's one of the greatest bass players of all time at the Henson Studios in Hollywood. They got some amazing Jocko guitar straps. You can pre-order the DVD. That's what I did. It's signed by Robert. They're trying to get the fi- uh, film finished in time to release this April for Record Store Day. They're almost there. They're 97% of the way there. Let's help take it over the top. Go to pledgemusic.com slash projects slash Jocko the film and help Robert get this movie made. All right. Got a couple days left. You know I'm going to be in Jacksonville uh, on Saturday for WWE Jacksonville. You know I'm going to be in Canada. Canton, Ohio on Sunday for WWE uh, Canton. And before both of those shows, I uh, will be doing Fozzie in-stores at FYE for Do You Want to Start a War signings. Uh, Saturday, February 7th, before the Jacksonville show at 4 p.m., I will be at the FYE Orange Park Mall, Orange Park, Florida. You just go uh, go, go, call down there, check it out or whatever it is. And also on uh, February 8th at 4 p.m., I will be in Akron, Ohio at the Chapel Hill Shopping Center, FYE. So if you live in those areas, 
Akron or Jacksonville and you want to come by and say hi to me and pick up a copy of Do You Want to Start a War? That's where I'm going to be. So come say hi, please. I guarantee you're going to have a fun time. Uh, and if you don't, I will, uh, I will cry. And I'll also cry if you live in the UK and don't come to the Cinderblock Party World Tour 2015. That starts March 4th in Belfast, Ireland. Uh, 5th, Cork. 6th, Dublin. 7, Nottingham. 8, Wolverhampton. 9, Manchester. 10, Glasgow. 11, London. 12, Bristol. 13, Exeter. 14, Southampton. 15, Brighton. 17, Paris. 18, Pratelm, Switzerland. 19, Munich, Germany. 20, Mannheim. 21, Bochum, Germany. All information, fozzyrock.com. All gig info and VIP packages. We have the best VIP packages you could ever get. You want to come hang out with Fozzy, come out to our shows, see a sound check, take a picture with the band, shoot the breeze, see what's up. You can do that with us. All right. That's about all. Once again, Amazon links. Keep on shopping through those links. I appreciate it. You know I do. You go to podcast1.com. Click on the Keeper Podcast free band at the top of the page. Click on Talk is Jericho. See all those Amazon links if you live in the States, if you live in Canada, or live in the UK. You know what you got to do. You help shop on that. You help my show. No extra fees or hidden challenges for you. Just getting your shopping done. Help me out in the process. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks to Andy Beersack. Thanks to you guys for being here. That's it. Another fine, fun-filled edition of Talk is Jericho. Jericho, and we'll see you uh, on Friday. But in the meantime, and in between time, that is it. A big, a big, a big, a big, a yeah, boy. And on Friday, this guy's a, a really requested guest as well, and very, very interesting. Actually, bone chilling. You guys know I like having uh, paranormal experts on this show, whether it be ghost hunters, UFO hunters, lake monster hunters, Bigfoot hunters. Uh, I got another ghost hunter coming up, and he's probably the biggest ghost hunter in the world today. Zach Baggins from Travel Channel's Ghost Adventure Show is going to be here on Friday. And you better listen to this one during the day when the lights are on. Listen to it with a friend because you're going to be freaked out. There is uh, ghosts. There is uh, being attacked by ghosts, haunted houses, demonic possessions. Zach was possessed by a demon. Uh, He's going to tell us all about that. This is real stuff. So uh, get ready to be scared and get ready to have a great day. I'll see you very soon. Thank you, guys. Yeah, boy. You can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcastone.com. 